We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. One of the best pieces of feedback that I've gotten during the pandemic with the masterminds that I run is that principals are enjoying talking about instruction and not just talking about COVID rules and regulations. It's one of the great things that we get to do in the mastermind is focus on the things that really matter. And sometimes we try to focus on other things, on the distractions that take us away from our vision, but we're always able to come back because our whole goal is to help us get our schools to where they need to be. So I would love to have you in there. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've probably heard me talk about it before. You probably have questions. Just go to jethrojones.com slash mastermind and let's set up a time to call, to talk about it. That's jethrojones.com slash mastermind and then click on schedule a call. I look forward to talking with you. Again, that's jethrojones.com slash mastermind. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am very excited to have on the program today, Dr. Sabrina Lindsay-Law. She currently serves as a coordinator for equity and opportunity in the Office for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Virginia Beach City Public Schools. Previously, she was a school improvement specialist, secondary social studies teacher, and a middle school dean. And I am excited to uh, chat with you today, and we'll probably get into a little bit more of your bio that uh, is extensive um, when we... <laughs> as we have the conversation. So welcome, Sabrina, to Transformative Principle. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Jethro. 
Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to talk to you because you and I met online several years ago uh, through the podcast, I believe, and uh, you've been one of those people who I've been uh, corresponding with every once in a while, every few months or so, and um, I'm really excited that I finally got to pin you down for an interview for the podcast. This is exciting for me. Great, great. Uh, as well. One of the things we're going to talk about today is is equity, inclusion, and diversity. And, you know, different people come from different places and have different experiences with this. And sometimes, you know, especially in our national conversation, this can be a polarizing conversation that can be difficult for people to have. And I think it's really important to have it anyway, because the the more we can see what we have in common, the the better we are. And so I'd like to talk to you first about your about your your thoughts on the current discussions that we're having in education. Where are we going right? Where are we going wrong? What are what's your perspective on how we're handling this conversation right now? Well definitely as we uh, talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, we like to call it DEI. And um, as you kind of talk about DEI, you really have to kind of ground it in this idea of humanity. And a lot of times we gloss over that really quickly because we want to get to, let's talk about race. Let's talk about the LGBT community. Let's talk about um, disabilities. Let's talk about all these things that kind of make us different. But let's also look at those things that make us a collective unit, which is humanity. And so when you look at humanity, um, that allows us to kind of see everyone and everything in every situation as humane as possible. Um, the next thing that we really want to look at is this idea of being uncomfortable and, and being comfortable with that. Uh, and then the last thing that I've been noticing a lot is people being more receptive to, to having non-closure. Oftentimes we want to have that ready-made solution. We want to make sure that we know exactly where we're going and what we're doing. And sometimes when you're dealing with that human interaction that is genuine and authentic, Sometimes you're not going to always know, just like as we prepared for this podcast and different things that we have conversations about, they're not always scripted. They're not always planned out. And sometimes when we do too much of the planning, we take away that human element. And so at its very essence, DEI is looking at how can we help humanity, but not just humanity, but how can we help ourselves? And so when we start to do this work, we really have to look at ourselves and we look at what are some things that resonate with me? What are some non-negotiables with me? Who am I as a person? And then as you get into that work, some things you're going to see that you're going to be like, oh my gracious, Sabrina, I can't believe you thought that or you were like that. And then, you know, you look at how can I now reflect, reassess and become a better person. But at the same time, um, I'm looking at what, what mark and what good do I want to leave um, in this community and, and, and on in this earth. So those are some of the things that have been resonating with me and continue to resonate with me. Yeah, I haven't thought a lot about the being more receptive to non-closure, but I've certainly experienced it. And when I started this conversation with you just a minute ago, um, I was I was thinking about that in the back of my mind. Like, this isn't something we're going to solve. And as we talk about the current discussions about it, you know, not we don't have all the answers and even, even a proposal doesn't solve the issues that we're facing. And the thing that, that I really appreciate about that is that I keep going back to this idea that if we recognize that we're all human beings 
first and foremost, we can build on that common ground and and move from there. And in in my faith perspective, the way I see that is that we are all sons and daughters of God. And to me, that means a lot. And so for me to treat someone poorly because of something else that especially they if they can't control it is not right to me from the very beginning. And so to treat someone poorly because of that is it just doesn't make sense because I see them as a fellow daughter or son of God. And so we need to to start there and have some some common ground first. And if we start there, then we may not get to closure, but we may get closer than we would have otherwise. That's really my belief. And I hope that that's the reality. It certainly has been in my work. It's been, you know, something that has, has helped a lot. Um, what are the things that we need to have in place to support DEI? Well, I mean, you're, what you're alluding to and you're talking about, you know, I do want to go a little deeper and, and t- kind of answer that question on the backside. It's really what you said should be, but that's not the case for everyone. And so what happens a lot of times is we have different types of biases that come up, uh, whether it's implicit, whether it's explicit. A lot, a lot of times it's unconscious. Sometimes you had an experience or an encounter that you didn't necessarily see as a negative encounter, but it made an impression in your mind and your memory, and you acted it out the next time that you came in contact with a situation or a group of people that had the same characteristics of that situation that had made an impression on your mind. And so sometimes with that, we need to recognize those implicit bias and we need to have those types of conversations. This is where it really gets into us having true accountability partners and critical friends that you can appreciate and respect and at the same time take that that strong look or reflection or response that they give you and figure out how can I become a better person. And so having that, we talk about it oftentimes with strategic planning. We talk about it a lot with goal setting, uh, smart goals, clear goals, but really just saying every day, how can I continuously improve? And as we look at those continuous improve methods, understanding that we have, we have not arrived and it's a working progress, that's going to help to get to some of the gains that you're alluding to in the question that you asked. So, because that's not everybody's story, and that's 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 something that we have to work on, uh, not just in the educational system, but in society. Uh, and so, the piece though is minimizing those implicit bias encounters, and then also too looking at the explicit ones and calling it out, which we can get into allyship and um, companionship and and just speaking out against those things that are just not right. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit, about an appropriate way to call that out without making the situation worse. Because what I've seen is that, um, you know, we have these, we'll talk about bullying briefly. We have these ideas of you need to be an upstander, not a bystander. And that's all well and good in theory. And the way I've seen that carried out is that that guy was bullying my friend, so I beat him up. And that's not the kind of thing that we're, we're trying to do, you know, that just escalates the problem and makes it even worse. So what's your advice to people who want to be an ally or companion or an upstander? How should they um, 
How should they react in an appropriate way to make it so you can have a conversation, not to alienate or ostracize the other person for their beliefs? Yeah, I'm, first and foremost, you, you have to be knowledgeable. You have to know the terminology and how to use it. Uh, and every day I'm learning, researching, looking up stuff, having conversations, reading books. But also, too, you have to be you have to be your own personality. And what I mean by that is that there are some people that can make a snarky comment that is very direct. But at the same time, the person receives it in love because they understand how that person is. Some people um, may have to uh, do it from a motherly standpoint. Some people may have to do it based off of let's let's understand from this basic essence. So mine would be I always look for uh, humanity and I always look for what can I do to make an environment inclusive. So I would always approach it from that or I may use a thesis statement or a concept that gets at the very essence of who we are as humans. So that's my style. But there are some people, they come up with the, the, the most interesting ways to, to get someone to kind of look at the action that they have committed or they're in the process of committing and they rethink it. And so you have to be personable according to your style, not someone else's. And so if you're doing those things, making sure that you're researching and having conversations, making sure that you, you know, are doing it in your own personal manner. And then last, consider yourself. You know, how would you want to be treated? What information would you want to have? What questions could you be asking? Because you don't know everything. So what some are some good relevant questions that you can ask to get further understanding about a particular topic, especially as it relates to DEI, because it deals with our identity and it deals with our culture and it deals with different aspects. Sometimes some people are very sensitive, like you said in the beginning, to having those types of conversations. So how can I let someone's guard down and also let my guard down to truly have that engaging conversation? You know, one of the things that I was thinking about as you were talking is if you do it in your own style, then you can be authentic to yourself and your conversation will carry more weight if you are being authentic to yourself. And and what I like about that is that it's really easy to... Um, to think I need to act a certain way, or, you know, there's a lot of pressure sometimes to say certain things, especially on social media, especially when you don't have all the information about a situation, or you're just not in that arena, you know, and sometimes people take that lack of conversation or that lack of public statement as one, you must not really care, two, you're not in this for the right reasons, or you're not even in the conversation, how do you respond to those kinds of things when you're just trying to stay true to who you are as a person? Right. I was having a conversation with several people, but I had an opportunity to present at a equity conference recently. And one of the things I talked about was the degrees of intensity. And what I mean by that is that all of us are in different places. All of us are learning and growing and professionally developing our mindsets. And so when you're at different levels of intensity, we have to accept that and appreciate that, especially in the educational setting. And so not just individually, but as a team, you're going to be at different places. And so when you're doing that, I'm very honest about where I am. And so if I'm not where someone, where I think someone may think that I am, I I ask those questions. 
Um, and if I don't ask those questions, I do some studying myself or I have conversations or I get around those who have um, that level of understanding or that's their level of expertise. That helps me to grow. And so I'm always looking um, on how I can be an effective learner, how I can be an effective collaborator with others and how we can just grow together. Uh, and so understanding the degrees of intensity, sharing that information um, that I'm not where you are, but this is where I am, but this is where I aspire to go. This is where we are as a team. And then allowing Sabrina to grow for Sabrina, not Sabrina to grow for Jethro, because at the end of the day, I have to be able to have the substance necessary because I'm going to have a different encounter um, that you're going to have with different groups of people. And so I have to be able to carry that weight. And so that's what I work through. That's what others work through. That's what, you know, as an educator um, in, this, in my social studies class, that's something that I did. You know, no one can beat you being the best you that you can be. And I know that sounds very simplistic, but that's just what I kind of govern myself by. And so as you do that, you're able to, to see it, it manifest into what you desire for it to be. But the biggest thing is ask questions and always be a learner. Yeah, and that that idea of always being a learner, I think, is what we as educators hopefully strive to do and model that for our students. And that's good. Um, I, I like that phrase, uh, the degrees of intensity. To me, what that communicates is that as we're learning about all of this, and there's a lot, you know, <laughs> it's it's not just one little thing that, you know, okay, I took the class on equity, so now I'm done. There's a lot to it. And it's it's so much deeper than than just taking a class that it's, to me, it seems like it's really about learning how to be a, a good human being. And what does that mean? And what does that mean for you and your circumstances where you grew up, what you experienced in life, what your family history is like? And and that's going to be different for different people. I think there are some common core values that we that we need to have, like, you know, empathy and awareness and things like that. But there's also some things that, you know, are going to be different based on where you grew up and who you grew up with and and what your experiences have been. Can you, uh, you know, help me help me explore that thought a little bit? This degree of intensity, there's certain things in my, like you said, my childhood, my education my experience, my students, my professional, um, that's going to make me who I am. And so um, for me, uh, even as a, a young girl, when I would play outside in the neighborhood and we'd have summer visitors, you know, your cousins would come or your neighbor's cousins would come, how I tried to involve them in the activities that we were doing. So when we were building the treehouse, everybody was building the treehouse. I had a role for them. I had a job for them because how I was raised is that my mother always felt like we should include people. So we would include people through food. We would include people through activities. We would include people um, in the various things that we would do. And so even now in every aspect that I do, I'm always looking for the we, the us, the team, the collectiveness. Do you have all the information you need to be a part of the whole? And so that's something that has always been something that we work, whether it was church, uh, and I can go on to the different plays and different things that we wrote and how we always came together. Um, but when you look at that collectiveness, you also have your individual self within that. And so I think about oftentimes if we can, and, and Hattie talks about this, how collective efficacy and things like that can get us the gains that we want. 
So whether it's instructional improvement, whether it, it is SEL, whether it's equity, whatever the main idea is, if we can really build that collective efficacy and that personal self-efficacy, then we're going to see the gains and, and the power of this belief that I, I can affect change. And so with that degree of intensity, if we also have it rooted in that efficacy, then that's where we can also see the different gains and growth. So those are some of the things that, that I think about when I think about this really. And when you look at degrees of efficacy, it also connects to this adaptive practice. How can I personalize my learning experience for me and then for those who are with me in the current state of this learning experience? So as I think about those, those are some things that just kind of come through my mind as you were asking me about that. Yeah, that sounds that sounds really good. And, you know, I think about my my experience growing up, I moved all the time. And so I went to five different elementary schools, three different high schools. And so it it wasn't always easy for us to, you know, invite everybody over because we didn't often know people, you know, and so that wasn't a thing that my family did. But what I do know is that my dad spent a lot of time connecting and talking with other people. And what I think is important there for this conversation is that that was a type of inclusivity that, you know, he he wanted to talk and he wanted to share what he knew. And I think that that's important as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just processing through this right now. So let me <laughs> let me just think about that for a sec. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says stop talking and start doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. it took me a second to really think about it because some people were like, you know, Sabrina, I read this book and I, and I did this, I watched this video. I had this conversation or some of them would say I had more than one conversation. Mm-hmm. It felt like they still didn't have a firm grasp on DEI. And, and, and as I'm talking to them and sharing with them that it's, it's more than just that encounter. It's more than right. multiple encounters. It's more than just, reading 44 books is more than just teaching 20 years. It's more than just watching several videos. It's more than just being who you are. Uh, it's it's an, a process that transforms and it evolves over time. One of my colleagues and I, we're getting ready to do a presentation for trauma-informed support. And we're looking at culturally responsive practices connected to that. And as we started to have the conversation, we started talking about this educator mindset and how this mindset and it encompasses things that 
are some traditional practices that we've always talked about, you know, developing a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset, um, looking at personalized learning and personalized opportunities, transformational learning. But also with that, having equity at its core, making sure that we give everybody what they need to be able to be successful. And then also that reflection piece. And so those are some, some of the things that we talked about. But as we started to think about that, how can we, like we do for the students, how do we scaffold this for people to be able to manage and to be able to process and to truly get it ingrained into their practices and to really change the mindset? And so that's kind of where that degree of intensity, as I was just kind of reflecting and thinking through, that's where it is. So that people don't, because in our mind, we do, we want to rush to make sure we, we can help. We, we want to make sure that we're there. We want to make sure that we have the resources that we need and we want to be able to give students the right now. And sometimes you got to let it marinate for a little while. And then as you allow it to marinate, like you just say, I just need a second to kind of wrap all that together. That's the power. And that's where we start to see the gains that we're trying to make, especially as it relates to DEI. Yeah. So here's, here's what I'm thinking after you said that, that a lot of things in school have a, an end date of when we have quote unquote learned that, you know, you finish algebra one, you get a A, B or C and you quote unquote, no algebra. And there's, there's an end to it. And there are other things in school that we learn that there's really never an end to. And I would argue that the difference is, is that for example, uh, a language arts class, I taught my students as a language arts teacher that language arts was about communication. And truly, there's no end to improving your communication. It It's something that you will continue, can choose to continue to improve for the rest of your life. Or you can say, I passed, uh, you know, 10th grade English, and now I'm done. And I suppose the same could be said about math. But I mean, I'm not really pursuing more math knowledge at this point, but I am continuing to com- pursue better communication skills at this point. And so, you know, there are some things that that are lifelong learnings that take time. And again, going back to a spiritual perspective, learning how God communicates with me and what that looks like is that is continually evolving. And I think that's important. That's something I want to continue learning and studying so that I can get better at that the DEI stuff, that's something that I want to continue learning so I can be better at it. Um, And communication, there are other things that I want to learn and continue to get better at. And there are other things that I'm just not interested in, don't think they really add much value to my life to be better at them. But this is an area where I do think it does add value to continue to get better. So any feedback or thoughts about that? Well, you bring us some things that just came starting to think about is really that the DEI work is participatory and it requires full engagement. And so even like when you're talking from a spiritual standpoint, we can read the Bible, we can pray, we can have Bible study with our colleagues or um, with people that we go to church with, but really to get to the root of it, you're going to break it down. So you're going to pull out your Matthew Henry's um, interpretation and commentary um, you're going to, you know, bounce this idea. You know, I was reading this scripture and this what came to mind. What do you think about that, Jennifer? And so it's the same thing with DEI. It's like taking it a step further. So it's not just enough um, to read the PowerPoint or to attend the conference or to read the article, 
But now I'm looking at to how I can apply what I've now learned. And then after I apply it, I kind of reflect, bounce some ideas off of someone. And then I try it again and add another flavor, another piece to it. And then I start to share the good news or share DEI. So that's a wonderful connection and analogy. I like where, you, where you're going with that. Yeah, very interesting. I, I don't want to end this conversation, but I also want to talk about something else that <laughs> that you and I talked about before that I think is an important piece that that ties into this. And you you talked about curating history on the kids who integrated in the schools uh, back in the 60s and later. And I I don't have a frame of reference for that because I grew up in the West and it wasn't um, it sure there was segregation, sure there was um, racism, but it wasn't the same as what the kids there experienced. And so um, can you talk a little bit about that and what that, what that curating the history is looking like and and what you're learning from that as well? Oh, yes. Oh, we are so excited. Oh my gosh. Um, Had a meeting with the students today, actually. We meet every Monday morning and we've been meeting since December. uh, And just their thought and their intuition and their reflective thinking around this work has been powerful. So I definitely, I'm going to have to share some resources with you. I met with the adults as well today. We don't meet as often, but we're touching base because we're actually having our uh, first event on February 6th. So we're so excited. And really what we're, we're looking at is um, for us in this um, state of Virginia, we have many districts, counties, cities that have developed, shared, curated um, their desegregation and integration process. So in our local area, we have what we call the Norfolk 17. One of my aunts um, through marriage, she was one of the Norfolk 17. And she integrated Northview um, High School. And so um, for us, we're looking at Virginia Beaches 38 students that were eligible to integrate. And there was 38 of them that were eligible, but one did not go. And so what we're preparing to do after um, March 1st is that we're going to get, we're going to um, arrange interview time to interview them and have conversations, but it's not going to be interviewed by me or other adults. We want the students to do it and the students want to do that. And so they will be talking with people that are several several generations removed um, from them and their daily experience, unless, you know, it's grandparents and things like that. And they're going to have a conversation about what was going on during that time. Um, now, going back to February 6th, we're going to kind of give everyone an overview of that, because at the end of the February 6th event, we want to ask 115 more students to join us in this work, because it's going to take a lot of people to be able to, to carry all those interviews. And so they're doing a panel discussion on unity, leadership, and advocacy. And we're going to have some of the individuals from the first Black high school in Virginia Beach, Princess Anne County Training School, also known as Union Kentsville High School. Um, We're going to have the NAACP president from um, the Virginia Beach chapter. We're going to have a former student from Virginia Beach City who is working in D.C. public schools. Uh, as an instructional technology coordinator, um, also uses his gifts and talents to sing. He was on The Voice. He also was on X Factor. Um, And we have two student representatives that will be with us as well. 
And so they're going to all come together for a conversation um, about unity, leadership, and advocacy. And this is where we're really looking at this idea of co-creating. How can I be a participant, but at the same time be a co-creator and vice versa? And so we start to listen, we start to have conversations, we start to grow, um, and we start to use our platform and networking. So I, I appreciate that. But as we look at desegregation, it's really important for us to understand that desegregation and integration were two separate things. So when they desegregated, you know, they, they were saying that, you know, we can no longer be separate. But then the integration process, that was another component. And so we're going to explore both of those components and the students are going to share out. And we're hoping that next February 2022, we're able to do like a gala where we can show all of the things that we've curated. Um, we're hoping to do um, some wonderful things, photo books, podcasts. So I might be calling you for some assistance. Um, we're gonna do some, some podcast work. We're gonna do um, some other creations. There's just a lot of things. And as it unfolds, we'll go with it. We're excited about that work. It's that mind, heart, and spirit. And it's powerful. It's powerful, thank you. Yeah, that sounds that sounds really cool. And what what I think is is powerful about that is is recognizing that desegregation and integration are two separate things. And um, I've said many times on this podcast, having a child with special needs, that the segregation is still alive and well in our special ed population, and it's just not right. Period. End of story. And and yet it's still happening to a to a large degree for those kids. And, and I think that that is, that is a real problem. And so even in my schools as a principal, where I have tried to uh, desegregate and integrate the kids with special needs, there's still been resistance. You know, I can't teach those kids because they need something special and I haven't been trained in how to do that. And, and that kind of mindset and mentality uh, just makes it really difficult to to make progress yes. when you still see them as others. And, um, and so, you know, I, I think there's so much power in, in acknowledging and recognizing the path that we've gone down and the things that we've gone through to make things work and how it's not just like, just because we want it doesn't mean that it's actually going to be there. And, and there's barriers to that and there's challenges with that. Um, anything else you'd like to add about that, Sabrina? Agree. You bring up an excellent point, and you made me think back to when I was in the classroom, and um, I had um, a couple of students that presented um, some challenges um, because they had never been exposed to an inclusive classroom. And so, um, one had uh, severe autism, uh, one had mild autism, and they were like, "Would you like to have them in your class?" I said, "Absolutely." And both of them passed um, our our state assessment with flying colors, 440s and above. And it inspired them to take other classes. And my class was VA US history. So it required some reading. It required some processing. It required some collaboration. But we scaffolded it. We took notes. We had another paraprofessional that was in the classroom to help support. And it was a phenomenal experience. I still talk to one of them to the day. He checked for me because his dad is a physician. And his dad would have been my third doctor when I was going to have my son. And he, he, he would always check on me. He said, do I need to call my father? Um, if we have to call my father, these are the techniques. And we had a hospital across the street from us. 
that wasn't the hospital I was going to have my son at. But he said, if you go into labor at school, this is what we're going to do. And I loved it. He was the best. And he still checks on me. So if there's any major issues that go on in history, if there's an election that goes on, he, what do you think, Miss Law? How, how do you think? And then I'll say, well, young man, how do you feel? And what's going on with you? How's mom? How's dad? And he'll have these conversations. He'll tell me, you know, how he's becoming more and more every day um, independent. And that doesn't mean that he doesn't have different obstacles that don't come up. But I've, I've learned with him, he's always looking for ways to overcome them. And so having them in a more inclusive environment, not just academically, it helps them to feel like we all want to feel that we belong. And so, and that's what our, our minorities, black and brown students will want um, and different others. We just want to feel like we belong. Even our colleagues that are not exactly like us, we just want to find that place where we all belong. And so if we can create those types of environments, that's where we're going to see that inclusivity at high levels. That's where we're going to see the efficacy at high levels. And, and some people say, oh, that's theoretical. You know, we, there's no way we can do that. We have too much policy. We have too much bureaucracy or whatever. But we also can reflect on those things and see what needs to change or what could change. What are the possibilities? And, and, and being comfortable with that. And, and we do want to follow policy, but how can we follow policy with an equity lens? How can we revise policy? How can we revise regulations? How can we have conversations about practices and needs that are practical for all people? And, and I know we talk about that, that three-letter word, all, but how can we truly make it all? And part of where it starts is us looking and considering and also to the power of language. Like I just had to um, correct myself when I said minority students, because we don't want people to feel like they're a minority. We want to be able to say uh, black and brown students. We want to be able to say our students with disabilities. We want to be able to say what it is, but in the same way, empower people. That power of language, um, it could do a lot. And that's how we also build efficacy. So those are some of the things that have been going on and that I've been thinking about as we go through these different different um, explorations of data. Yeah, and I think one thing that has made um, the thing so challenging over the last year with the pandemic is that we, um, we've we been social distancing from people, which I think is an awful phrase. We should, I think we should say physically distancing from people because we shouldn't be socially away from people because we need that community. We need that sense of being with someone being together, being part of something, not being ostracized because, you know, uh, there were, there was certainly a time during the coronavirus where if you got the coronavirus, you were basically considered a bad person because you contracted a disease and that's not right. <laughs> you know, it's just not right. And, and yet we, we use those terms and that language in, I think most of the time unintentionally, but we need to be more intentional about how we say things. And so I appreciate you you add that in there. In closing, uh, the last question I'd like to ask you is, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal? Okay, I'm just going to go with this, and, and it, this is the truth. Really look at your love languages and how you communicate with your people, especially during this pandemic. Are we making sure we check in, checking on everyone? 
are we sending those emails? If you do some type of uh, celebratory um, opportunities for, for teachers, being be meaningful about that. Um, and what it really boils down to with those things is just loving your people, loving your people and being cognizant of them and how we may feel um, during this time, um, this pandemic. Um, each of them are dealing with their own things and it's difficult. And so we got to find ways to just love on each other. And the more we model loving on each other, the other people will do that. And before you know it, you have this ripple effect of everyone just loving and checking on each other. Uh, and whether that's through social media, for those that you don't get to actually see in your faculty meetings because they're not in your building anymore, or your emails, just, just send in an extra, how you doing? I just want to make, make sure you're okay. And um, I'm thankful that people in my circle, a lot of them check on me. Um, and I try to do the same as well. Um, I know for me, it has been a challenge. Um, the end of the 2020 and to the beginning of 2021. Um, recently, I lost my father. And so there's been some things going on with that. And just the outpouring of love and people letting me know I'm here for you if you need it. And so that's been really, really nice. So just going that extra mile to show people that you love them. Yeah, that's that's a, a again a simple idea, but one that's that's so important and valuable to do. So Sabrina, I thank you for being part of Transformative Principle. If you'd like to connect with Sabrina, you can follow her on uh, Twitter at Sabrina underscore Law, and also um, if you'll send those uh, artifacts to me about the integration. Uh, piece, then that would be great. And I'll put those in the show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast slash episode 419. And thanks again, Sabrina, for being part of this. Thank you for having me. Hey, middle school principals, what if I told you that all your teachers had to do to teach your students really valuable social and emotional competencies was just press play? In Control SEL is a fully automated video curriculum that teachers and students absolutely love. And that's because it's easy. And it looks just like a Netflix or a YouTube show. So all you have to do to hear about how it can completely transform your school is schedule your call. Tell us Jethro sent you and you'll get 20% off if you feel like it's a good fit. So go now to www.incontrolsel.com slash strategy call to schedule your call today. The link will be in the show notes. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time 
without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.